Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I wanted to do 13, chapter 13, because chapter 13 has to do with love, and we're on the heels of Valentine's Day. And so I am going to force it in there a little bit at the end. But did you guys have a nice Valentine's Day? Yeah, yeah some of you didn't. You're like, no. <laughs> You know, I was reading a couple of stories. One was I thought that was interesting was uh, about a young high school guy, and uh, he gave a flower to every girl in his school. Can you believe that? Not that he was a Casanova. It wasn't like that. It's just that he remembered the year before, a lot of the girls didn't get a flower, they didn't get a gift, and so it made him feel bad. And so he went out, and his mom, and they gathered together the funds necessary, and they gave a flower to every girl. And it reminded me of how God's love is available to all of us, you know. Um, I, I pray that you would know that, that God loves every single one of us. He didn't just give us a flower. He gave us his son. And so that's kind of a cool thing. Another story I read that was interesting was about a little girl who went into a, a grocery store. And I guess uh, behind the cereal boxes, there was a, 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 like a piece of paper that was folded up. And it just kind of caught her curiosity, and so she went, she got the paper, she opened it up, and in the paper there was a $100 bill. And there was a note that said, whoever finds this is loved. Amen? (laughs) And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, You know, apparently somebody just wanted to do a nice gesture, a good deed, and um, and it was kind of cool how the, the girl found it, and she got in. She went to, I think it was Build-A-Bear, and she had a really good time. But, but you know, I mean, I think that's kind of how it works. Uh, do you feel loved? Do you understand God's love? I mean, do you, gotta, do you have at least uh, some type of a, of a grip on this amazing grace? You know, it's available for everyone. But in one sense, there is that aspect where you'll discover it, you'll find it when you give your life to Jesus. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I pray that we would know that, especially on the heels of Valentine's Day. You know, praise God for our, you know, our romantic love. But ultimately, everything has to be rooted in the agape love that God has for us. And we're going to see, we're working our way towards this amazing chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And even as we study the gifts, we're going to see that they all need to be exercised in love. And so before we dive in, I want to give you an outline of where we're headed here in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to be today in verses 27 through 31. Number one, we're going to see that in God's body, there is unity through diversity. And then after that, we'll see that with that, therefore, we need to earnestly desire the best gifts and ultimately understanding that the priority is love. And so let's look at this outline real quick. In God's body, there is unity through diversity. We're different. We're supposed to be different. Even today, we had two singers. One was singing the lead. The other was singing a melody. Uh, and so they're different. Together, there's harmony. You have a guitar. You have a cajon. And together, as the instruments all gather together, there's this music that's played. They're different. But there's this unity. The same is true in the church. We're different. We're supposed to be different. We have different gifts. And we have different dispositions. Don't let that build walls between you. Let it build bridges. We're going to see that in the body. But therefore, as we're you know, a body of Christ, we need to earnestly desire the best gifts. And what are the best gifts? 
the best gifts are what is needed in this family. What is needed in the church. Like if I was to cut that wall right there, I would need a sawzall. You know, if I'm to cut paper, I don't use a sawzall. I use some scissors, you know. If I'm going to uh, cut a hole in, in a piece of wood, I'm probably going to need a drill and a, and a, and a jill, jigsaw. So whatever is needed in, in the family, whatever is needed in, in, the, in the community, whatever is needed in the church, that's the best gift. Not what's best for me, what's best for us. That's what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians who are divided, who were carnal. He said, listen, we want to have a good, strong church. So there needs to be unity through diversity. So let's earnestly desire the best gifts. And that really teaches us that we can have more. Did you know that? You can actually have more supernatural power. It's not over yet. So we earnestly desire those things. But ultimately, he says, the priority, and we're going to see it at the end of our chapter today, is that everything needs to be exercised in love. And, you know, if you don't have that for your brothers or your sisters, if there's someone that you have something against, uh, I'm telling you this, you can't be right with God if you have that kind of junk inside your heart. As Christians, we are called to love each other. And so I pray as we go through this as a church that it would be transforming. You know, I was thinking, you know, because sometimes people say different things, you know, Is God working in that church? Yeah, he's working in this church. You want to know how I know that? Because he's working in me. I know he's working in me. I can see the calling to change, the calling to grow, the calling to go deeper. I can feel it. We can feel it as a family. How about you? Is God working in you? Yeah, he's working in us. And I believe he wants to do something great. And so in God's body, there is unity through diversity. The first thing we see is this topic of membership. Look at verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We see the unity through diversity, different members in the body. Uh, One version says it this way, Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now, notice the first word he uses there in verse 27. It's the word now. When are you a member? Do you have to take a class? You know, is it when you complete the New Believers course or the Foundations in the Faith? Is it when you get your act together like the book of Acts? Is that when you become a member or you reach a certain plateau or after a certain number of days or doctrine of discipleship? Is that when you become a member of the body of Christ? Uh, Absolutely not. If you're a Christian... If you have repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're a member, you're a part of this family now. Not tomorrow, now. You know, and it's important for us to know who we are. How many of you here have a, a membership to a gym? I'm just curious. Any of you guys? How many of you need one? I'm just curious, you know. You know, but it's just like, I'm a member of that. This is my family, man. This is our, our last name. This is my identity. You're a member of this family now. Don't think that it's one day when you speak in tongues or something. No, it's, it's now. That's what he says. If we're the church, if we're God's people, his body, then we've embraced Christ as our Lord and Savior. And together we're the body of Christ. Even though we're different, we're united. It's who we are now corporately. It's who we are individually. 
And in this unity, in spite of the crazy diversity, God's going to do a great work. And there, you know, there's so much to this. You know, one of the things that I'm trying, Paul's trying to teach us is, listen, there's no such thing as a small church. We get this crazy mentality, oh, it's a small church. You know what, see, uh, C.H. Spurgeon got saved at a small church. It was just a couple of people. Is that a small work? Absolutely not. We're confused sometimes. There's no such thing as a small church. There's no such thing as a small saint. Whoever you are, you may feel insignificant, but you're not. And that's what he's trying to say here. Every saint is significant. Every Christian has a contribution that is critical. If a limb is missing in our body, then we're lame. And that's why as we're going through this section right here, we need to understand that. You know, there's a, a good passage over in Ephesians 4. And I was wondering if you could turn to Ephesians 4. And I wanted to read to you, beginning in verse 11, where it says, And he, and that pronoun is capitalized because it's in reference to Jesus. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so Jesus gives gifts to men and women, and Jesus gives men and women as gifts to the church. And as we're exercising those gifts, we're teaching the word, then what ends up happening is these saints get equipped to do the works of ministry. And that's what, that's what he's talking about right here. And what it does is it builds up the body until, verse 13, we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a, a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. I mean, ultimately, where God is making us more and more like Jesus, it's like time you know, to grow up. There has to be that maturity. There's that maturity like Christ. There's a unity as God is using every single person. I mean, I was so blessed last week with the girls, you know, we're still working on getting that van back, but one of the brothers offered his van. That's all part of it. That's all part of how God uses every single person. And this is, an, this is eternal stuff. And as we're doing our part, and we may think it's insignificant, absolutely not. It's huge. It's indescribable. There are no words to articulate how this impacts eternity. And so we're all doing our part. We're growing the unity, the maturity. And notice what he says in verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I mean, we're, we're not kids anymore. We're not two-year-olds throwing tantrums when we don't get our way. We know the truth. We can hear uh, the counterfeit, I mean, just immediately. I was so blessed by my son. He's, uh, he knows like the genuine money really well. And so recently, he's been catching these counterfeits that have been coming through. You know, And I was like, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. There's a lot of counterfeit doctrine out there. You go online, you listen to YouTube. There's stuff on the radio, on television. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's true. When you're growing in the faith and you learn your grid of theology and you know who Jesus is, who God is, who you are, how salvation, how it all happens, then we're not going to be tossed to and fro. That's what Paul is saying right here. But what ends up happening is verse 15, but we're speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and knit together. Notice this. You might underline this. By what every joint supplies. There it is. According to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, it's not like a hand who's interested in in just the hand. He's interested in the welfare of the entire body. You know, that's the way we work. Henry Ford put it this way, coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, and working together is success. And that's what we want to do as a church. You know, Michael Jordan, he said this, talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. And you can talk to any basketball player, professional, I mean, rather than any type of individual accolade that they might receive, They would trade it any day for a ring. And that's the way it is for us as a church. You know, I don't know how you guys are doing in this. I know that some of you here, you're you're faithful, you're involved, you're obedient, you know your gifts, and you know where your calling is, and I praise God for that. There's a lot of you here who maybe have not yet really truly taken that step of faith. Listen, one day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And if you took your talent and you took your gift and you did nothing with it, if you buried it underneath, then one day 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says that when you stand before Jesus, you're going to be ashamed. You're saved, but you forgot that you were saved to serve. Now, some of you here, I understand 100% that you're serving your family and you're out there and you're doing other things. But if you're not, then I want to challenge you to take this study to heart. Where will you serve? How will you serve? How will you take that step of faith? How will you get involved? What gifts do you have? What talents were you born with? What gifts were you born again with? I was even thinking tonight, I was probably going to ask Henry and Peter to join me, and we'll talk about Ephesians 4 and we'll talk about how, you know, every part does its share. And if you're here and you've never gotten involved in ministry, or you're here, maybe even, in, and sometimes people come to church and they feel like they're not connected. You know, they're, they're disconnected. I don't know why, I just can't get plugged into church. That, that's the last thing I want from anyone who would attend Calvary Chapel Almani. You know, they like, I've been there for a while, and for some reason I just feel distant or, or disconnected. You know what? Come tonight, if you can. Come tonight at 5, and, and we'll give you some food. Um, we'll feed you. But we'll talk about these things. What's the next step? What do we need to do? We'll pray together. You know, one of the things about having food is not necessarily that you're, you're bribing people, although you are kind of, depending on <laughs> what the food is. But you guys, you know just as well as I do, there's something special about breaking bread together, huh? And so, I don't know, I just don't want to teach this without giving you at least that opportunity that if you feel disconnected or if you don't feel plugged in or if you don't know how you're going to take the next step to go forward and and exercise those gifts, maybe come tonight if you can and we'll just see what the Lord does with all this. But what we need is to come together in order to bring God glory and to build up his church. And so back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see that in God's body there is unity through diversity. And in verse 27, we see that the membership 
But then in verse 28, we see the ownership. Notice what it says, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles and second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. And so we'll look at the distinctive gifts that are mentioned here, but before we do, we need to make sure that we don't forget that the head of the body is Christ, that God is the one, it says right here, who has appointed these in the church. God is the one who gives us our assignments, our appointments. It's by God. You know, and so there's a balance there. You know, maybe you're here and you're thinking, okay, well, God will make me a pastor. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. No, I think the way it works is that if you have a calling on your life, if you have a gift, and we'll use pastor as an example, you're like, well, how do I become a pastor? Well, number one, it has to be God's calling. And when he'll, what he'll do is he'll begin to stir up a, a desire inside of you to seek him to read the Bible. Next thing you know, you're going to be here not just on Sundays. If you want to be a pastor, you're going to have to be here more than that. You're going to be here serving. You're going to be here. It's going to be evident. You love God. You love the people. You love the Bible. And you're going to be here. And, and then God will show that to the leadership The leadership will then begin to talk to you. Next thing you know, you'll be given different assignments and you'll have to be faithful in those assignments. And then the day will come where God will show the leadership, man, this person right here, they have a pastor's heart and God ordains you and God puts you in that place. But it wasn't you just sitting back doing nothing. It was us taking those steps of faith and God does the work. And so that goes for a pastor, that goes for anyone. That goes for, we're going to see later, the significance of someone who's just a helper, and yet how important they are. You know, one of the things I've noticed as a pastor is the only way that I'll be able to survive is if I surround myself with men and women who are better than me. I I need their help desperately. None more significant than any other. And so looking at that, yeah, it's you cooperating with God who puts you there. You see, there's this unity through diversity. There's this membership that we all have as Christians. What are you doing? And then there's this ownership of God. You know, the word translated appointed there in verse 28, it means to set and put in place. It's not the pastors, elders, or congregation that makes those determinations. It's God who decides the duties of every disciple. Of course, we need to say yes and yield to the Lord. But sometimes I feel like people, like you're out there and you can't move because your feet are nailed to the ground. And it's like, I can't move. And so come tonight and what we'll do is we'll pull you up. You're going to have holes in your feet, but that's okay. Because ministry involves a cross of blood and suffering. Sacrifice, it's a war. But that's what we need to do. We need to say yes and yield and cooperate with our Creator. I love the thought that He will put us in our place. And no one can stop Him. You know, the same Greek word that's translated appointed here in verse 28 is over in 1 Timothy 1.12. And he says, and I, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. You know, and, and we all have our appointments, just as Paul did, because God is the one that loves his church and it belongs to him. 
There's this membership. There's this ownership. God's the one writing the lineup. It doesn't matter uh, where I'm at or when I bat. It really doesn't. All that matters is I'm so grateful that I'm on the team. And in his sovereignty, he's setting me and calling me where I need to be. And some of you here, uh, I'm an older guy now. I'm an older guy now. Some of you younger, all oh, the old guys, don't laugh. I'm, I'm older. I am. You're younger. You're younger. Don't get caught up in this world. If God has a calling on your life, then answer it. Let the fire begin now. Can't you see we're living in the last days? Can't you see we're living in this place where there's a war where they're calling evil good and good evil? I can't even believe the the presidential candidates that are before us now. It's an abomination to God. It's crazy what we have in this world. Why are we arguing over whether or not, you know, abortion is murder? I mean, it is. It's life right there in the moment of conception. You read Psalm 139. Well, how will the world change? Is it through government? Maybe a little bit. We're praying and we're asking, but ultimately it's going to come through the church and it's going to come through men who are pastors, who love God, who love his word, who love the people, but they don't make a lot of money and it's a difficult life. Well, if that's the calling, you have to answer that call. See, what we have to do is pass the baton and discover this. And I'm not saying you might be here like I never knew I was going to be a pastor. When I was involved in ministry, I never really even had that thought. You know, okay, well, I'll be an assistant, whatever the case may be. But I did know this. I love Jesus. I did know this, that I wanted to be faithful where he placed me. And that's all you have to do is be faithful where he places you. Some of you, you haven't even gotten out of the boat yet. Sometimes we get so comfortable in this world that we forget who it was that was nailed to a cross for us. And we're living our own life. And so what we find right here is, yeah, God is the one. And it's this membership that we all belong. And then there's this ownership where God is doing the work but what we find is that we, as we take a, a look at this, God is saying, listen, this is how it works. Because of his love and his ownership, God is the one that's going to set us, and he's going to call us, and he's going to woo us, and he's going to give us gifts. And if God calls you, I know how you guys are. People call you, you're like, ooh, I better not answer that. Huh. <laughs> I don't have time to talk right now, man. <laughs> if God called you, would you answer? That's the big question of our life. If God calls you, will you answer? And God is the one who's the owner. You know, when you take a closer look at verse 28, we realize that it's not random, that there's a reason tongues is last on the list because the Corinthian church, they were overemphasizing that gift. And there's a reason it begins with apostles and then uh, uh, prophets and then teachers. And as we read the Gospels in the book of Acts, we see that Christ set salvation in motion by sending the apostles and then the prophets and then the teachers. It's interesting. Luke chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, And when it was day, Jesus called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve 
whom he named apostles. So imagine that he changed the whole world. He turned it all upside down through 12 men who were called apostles. Capital A, they had that office of an apostle. Now Jesus, Judas was killed. Paul was then called. He replaced him. And it was through these 12 men that God began to build his church. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, talking about the church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We read it earlier in Ephesians 4.11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And we kind of see the same pattern. And so let me just use the Ramirez family as an example. They go to Cambodia as apostles. Now, there's a distinction between the apostles that we read here, capital A, and the apostles nowadays would be more along the lines of missionaries or evangelists. Now, the church is built on the apostles, the 12, because of the fact that they received a message from Jesus himself directly. And every 27 books in the New Testament is linked to an apostle. And so it's upon that truth that the church is built. But still, not the office, but the function of an apostle is true for today. So the Ramirez family, they go to Cambodia and they tell people who have never, maybe never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. Or maybe they've never really heard the gospel from someone who loves them. They go to Cambodia and they tell people about Jesus. There's apostles there. That's what they are. And as they're there and God begins to do a work, there's these, there's these prophecies, a prophet with a small p, not necessarily the office of a prophet, but the function of a prophet now. And they're, they're talking to this church, to this tribe, to this village, to this place personally. That's what prophecy is. When God gives personal words, that's how churches start. They go with the gospel. They're evangelists. They're missionaries. And then God begins to speak them to them in their hearts. And then next thing you know, it's all followed up by teaching. And they're just teaching them the word. And that's how the church is built. And it's so cool. All it takes is someone to say, here am I, send me. Lord, I'll go across the street. I'll, I'll go to my coworker. I'll go to my family member. I'll listen, Lord to that person that you placed on my heart. I'm not going to ignore that anymore. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to go fishing because you said, I will make you fishers of men. And you woo them, you win them to the Lord. It's just so cool how it all happens. You know, the apostles, missionaries, evangelists, outside from the twelve. And then the prophets who are sensitive to the Spirit. We've talked about this, and we'll talk more about this in chapter 14. And then the teachers, and that's someone who, who teaches the Bible. You don't have to teach all the other stuff. It doesn't have to be, be funny. It doesn't have to be psychology or sociology. Just teach them the Bible, like Pastor Chuck said. Uh, simply teach the Bible simply. There's power in that. And what we find is that this is the fundamental of a healthy church. You know, if you would turn to Acts chapter 13. And this church in Antioch, they were such a, a, a cool church. But notice we read similar things. In, in verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, Acts chapter 13, 
there were certain prophets and teachers. Now, um, Paul was an apostle, and he was there. Uh, and so was Barnabas in, in a different sense. So you have apostles, and you have prophets, and you have teachers, right? And it names them right there, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And notice what they did. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And it's just so cool. You got these guys with the big vision for the church, they're apostles, and then you have these prophets who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and they're speaking personal words. And sometimes the pastors have that gift too, or teachers that are just teaching the word. And as they're there, what are they doing? They are fasting. They are seeking God with all their heart. They're not playing games. They don't got one foot in and one foot out. They're denying their flesh. And as they're there, the Holy Spirit says, hey, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for this amazing work. And you guys know, up to that point, the church, as far as missionaries go, they, the only way they would go out is if they're persecuted, if they're pushed out, if they were kicked out. But now, finally, there comes this first missionary journey where they are willing to go out, where they are called out, where they are sent out, where it's an act of obedience. And that's what God wants to do in the churches. You know, it's a healthy church. And what happens is as they're seeking God with these gifts in operation, everyone understanding where they are, then what ends up happening is God just begins to do more and more and more. Back in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, these guys are speaking up. God is graciously showing up. Notice again next with miracles. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings. I mean, it's going to happen. You guys are going to see it, the signs and wonders that God does. Not that we're looking for those things, but it's just going to happen. Because wherever God is, that's what God does. God does miracles. He always does. You know, Mark 16, verse 20, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And you know, I've told you guys before, but just in case you weren't here, when we went to Nepal, there was a guy who couldn't walk. Jesus healed him, and now he dances. When we went to Cambodia, there was a guy that couldn't walk, and he was in a wheelchair, and so we prayed over him, and he walked. And that's an amazing thing. Those, are, those things still happen today, right? But how about some of you? You couldn't walk with the Lord. There was a time when you were addicted to drugs or porn or alcohol where you had no hope, no heart, no purpose in life, but Jesus Christ came into your life. And now you're a completely different person, and it's obvious, and it's evident, and it's undeniable. And you're walking now with God, and you're talking. Before you were mute, now you hear, now you see, now you live. You're a miracle. And that's what he's saying. When God begins to work and you got these evangelists and missionaries and prophets and teachers and then miracles and then healings take place and broken hearts are healed. It's amazing what God does. But then we see even in the practical things, it's so cool, speaking the word, confirming the word and then applying the word. 
Look again at verse 28. Uh, it says that there's these uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, and then after that, miracles and gifts of healings, and then helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And, and, and so you're looking at that. And let me just ask you a question. I want you to be honest. If you could choose between these two gifts, which one would you choose? I want to be a healer or I want to be a helper. A lot of you guys will say, I want to heal, right? <laughs> maybe it's because you want to help others who are physically suffering, or maybe it's because you want to dazzle. I don't know. All I know is it's interesting to me that next is helps, and even before administrations. One of the things you'll find about the Bible is it's never, unra- never random. Everything's in order. Helps is, is this really practical thing where you support the weak, the poor, People that need help. In the Old Testament, you had the Aaronic priesthood. And these were the descendants of Levi who were under the specific lineage of Aaron. And they were the high priests. But they were surrounded by Levites who just were helpers. What do you need? What's the need in the church? I'll do anything for the Lord. I noticed that that wall over there is pretty dirty and it's kind of like uh, scuffed up and it's got all these marks on it. I tell you what, I'll paint it. You need someone to paint, I'll do it. I noticed that that trash over there is overflowing. Hey, I'll empty it. Hey, this person over here, they need a ride, I'll, I'll do it. I mean, just the, it's just so beautiful when people understand this is, this is practical things. These are infinite things. You know, some of you here, it just comes naturally. You have the the gift of helps. Administration is an interesting word. If you have an old King James, it says governments. And so this is also translated, it's related to a word in the Bible that talks about a a shipmaster, someone who steers the ship. And so you have these helpers, you think they're insignificant, but God put them before the leaders. Which are more important? Let me tell you, we've got to make sure we understand this. None are more important. One day when we stand before Jesus Christ, and we will stand before him, one day when we stand before him, you're not going to say, well, what was your position? It depends on your rank. No. Where were you found? No. Were you faithful where I put you? And that's what we see here, the, the helps and then the administrations and then, and then the varieties of tongues. You know, the gift of helps, what an amazing gift it is. It's not insignificant. But it's also, when you look at the list, and we've been talking about this, it's not insignificant that the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues is last on the list. And I don't know for sure, but I'm just going to say this. So, you know, sometimes people think, well, the, the most, you know, the best gift or most important gift is, is, you know, the pastor. And I just want to tell you guys, absolutely not. You know, Jesus said, you receive your rewards. You know, you get your credit, you get your accolades. But this one over here, no one ever noticed them. But God did. So don't get your eyes on, on that prize that looks at things only from human lenses. But do get your eyes on the Lord. Please get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off the world. Get your eyes off the things of the world. Because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke the word and you'll become unfruitful. 
Get your eyes on the Lord and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then don't hesitate. No reservations, no hesitations. You go forward. Otherwise, you're going to die with a whole bunch of woulda, coulda, shouldas, and you're going to find your heart is empty. Even though you're a Christian, it ended up empty because you did things your way. This is all part of this amazing body. And what we find is that in God's body, there's unity through diversity, and we're all part of the membership. Even if you don't feel it, you've got to know it. God is the one who puts us where we belong because it's his ownership. And then we have to understand the workmanship involved. Look at verse 29. He asks these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And of course, we know the answer is no, 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 seven times a resounding no. But the, the Corinthians, they didn't realize this. Look at chapter 14 in verse 26, where he says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, each of you has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. They thought that all the gifts were for all the people all the time. And what, what Paul is saying is that it doesn't work that way. No, we all have different gifts. And so are, are all apostles, prophets, teachers, all these things? No. We want to find our own gifts, discover them, develop them, and employ them. They were unaware and uneducated, uninformed. And it caused confusion and it caused division. That's the Corinthian church. You know, the, the championship, the way that will bring God glory and do good for people, the way that this church will be everything that God wants it to be is when we find our place and we run with it. We're faithful. You may think that being an usher or being a security guard is insignificant. I mean, and, but you take your role seriously and you might save all of our lives, literally. That smile, that hug, that friendly welcome, that might change someone's day and someone's life. You know, you come up here and you sing and what I've noticed is when God gives someone the gift of worship and anoints that person with the Holy Spirit, people come in, and I've seen it over the years, and they're weeping with joy because God touches their hearts. We have to be so careful that we don't get lax. We have to ask God to lead us. See, in God's body, there is unity through diversity. There's this membership, his ownership, we're all his workmanship. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the Greek word is the word poema. We're his poem. It's all part of his plan. We're not all the same. We're all very, very different. And so we see the second main point is that, therefore, we should earnestly desire the best gifts. For you personally, no, not just that. Although I believe God will satisfy you, it's, it's for us congregationally. Lord, it would be a blessing if you'd grant us the gift of prophecy. We need to hear from you personally. And so look at chapter 14, if you would. In verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love 
1 Corinthians 14, 1, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And so it's not over. It's not necessarily like you've discovered all the gifts you have and you're done. I mean, there, God might want to give you more. So he says, pursue love and then also, you know what, desire these other gifts, especially prophecy. And so, you know, something we want congregationally, Lord, would be a blessing if you granted us these gifts. It would be awesome if we could just help others, you know, what this church needs, what this city needs. Lord, help us to help them. That's one of the prayers that I pray all the time. Lord, help me, help us to help others. Please, Lord. And what's the best gift? Like I said earlier, it depends on, on what the job is. You know, I thought this is interesting, and I hope they don't get upset with me for sharing with you, but Craig, um, one of my friends, he sent me a picture of what he got his wife for Valentine's Day. You know what he got her? A lawnmower. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, a lawnmower? You got your wife a lawnmower for Valentine's Day? Bro, that's marriage 101. You don't do stuff like that, like get him a blender or things like that, vacuum cleaner. But apparently, Betty really wanted a lawnmower, right? And so it's kind of like she got a gift. But, but not necessarily for herself. Although I know she likes doing yard work, she got a gift that she can use for others. And that's kind of how it works. Lord, you know what our church needs? You know what this city needs? You know what the world needs? God, give me that gift. The best gift. See? That's how it works. We have to earnestly desire that, which leads us to the last point, and it goes hand in hand, that... You know, in God's body, there's unity through diversity, so we earnestly desire the best gifts, understanding all along that the priority is love. Notice again there in verse 31, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And when Paul heard what was going on in Corinth, God had did such a great work, God had planted this amazing church in such a corrupt city, you know, he, he's so blessed when it started, but man, then they seemed to go south so fast. And he heard this, that they had left their first love. And so now he's going to have to address this with some of the most amazing words ever written by a man, of course, we know is inspired. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's all about love. I wanted to go into this today because we're on the heels of Valentine's Day. That's why my, my wife told me we to wear red today. But look, real quick, I will read a little bit in chapter 13. Because you have to exercise these gifts for others. Because you love God and because you love the people. You can't just say, well, I'm good at it. And maybe you are. Look what he says here in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, think about that, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And so, in one sense, you know, this guy is a great, great speaker. The tongues of men and of angels, probably impressive to the human ear, to the carnal ear, but to the spiritual ear, to God's ear, it's just a bunch of noise. In verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove all mountains, but have not love, notice he says, I am nothing. 
So the first guy is a great talker, but it's just a bunch of noise in God's eyes. The second guy, he's got so much power. He's prophetic. He knows all the answers in the Bible. He's got so much faith and he moves mountains. But when, because of the fact that he does not really do it because he loves God and loves the people. And God says, in one sense, the, the assessment is such an individual is really nothing. And then in verse 3, he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, imagine that. You sell all your stuff. You take that money. You give it to the poor. Imagine that. You're there, and they say, hey, deny the Lord. And you're like, no, I'm going to die a martyr. And, you know, you think that, you know, it's, it's going to win you points. But God looks deeper. God sees what's really going on. And he sees that it wasn't because you love God, it's because you love yourself. And one day when you stand before the Bema seat, that great Bema seat of Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But you won't be rewarded because you never really did it out of love. Well, Lord, I, I love most of the people. I hate to break the news to you, my friend, but that is not love. Love is unconditional, sacrificial. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do you feel like it? No. It has to be motivated by love. We're going to talk about that next week. We search our hearts. You know, it's the greatest commandment to love God and love others. And Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And so it's a blessing to be able to talk about the gifts. I don't know what superpower you have, but I pray that you would know and that you would develop it, discover it, develop and deploy it. If you don't know and you need help, maybe even like, how do I take the next step? Come tonight. Uh, we'll feed you. We'll love you. We'll just ask God together on how to do this thing. But, um, you know, ultimately, as we're talking about the gifts, what's the greatest gift of all? Salvation. Huh? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So let me just tell you this. Just in case there's someone here and you don't know where you stand with God, in order to go to hell, in order to spend eternity separated from God, you don't have to do anything. Just keep living your life the way you're living it. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. We're all sinners. So if you don't want to go to heaven, you don't have to do anything. But the gift of God, this is what I'm talking about, the gift of God is eternal life. If you want that gift, all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is say, Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I believe you died and rose again and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. There's another passage in 2 Corinthians 9.15. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that gift is Jesus. So Jesus offers himself to you today. And if you've never accepted that gift, if you don't know for sure if you're going to go to heaven when you die, if you haven't received that love and forgiveness, all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus.
I want to receive you today as my Lord, as my Savior, as the gift, because that's the most important one at all of all. You come in with a broken heart, you give it to him and he'll heal it. But you have to take that step of faith. And if you want to do that, if you want Jesus today, it's so cool. He did all the hard work. All you have to do is receive him. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you, there might be just one person out there. Listen, he loves you, whoever you are. There's no sin that he can't forgive. And there's no life that he won't change. He will bless you. And your life will begin now. But you have to receive him. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God.